In this episode of the Business of E-Commerce, I talk with Chris McCabe about Amazon seller account suspension. This is the Business of E-Commerce, episode 25. Welcome to the Business of E-Commerce, the podcast that helps e-commerce retailers start, launch, and grow the e-commerce business. I'm your host, Charles Pulaski. I'm here today with Chris McCabe. Chris has previously worked on Amazon's performance and policy enforcement team. He now consults with Amazon sellers and specializes in helping them during the account suspension process and helps them all the way to, through getting their account reinstated. So I want to bring Chris on the show. I know if, you've, if you're an Amazon seller, if you've worked at all with Amazon, you've uh, seen the dreaded uh, suspension notice before. So I want to kind of talk to Chris about what to do and how to handle that and kind of the best practices around that. So. Hey Chris, how you doing today? Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. It's definitely um, an interesting topic for anyone in the Amazon world. I know um, it's a scary topic. Very scary topic. There's that suspension notice, and it kind of yeah. just happens. And it's one of those things. If you've been around, you know, selling Amazon long enough, um, I think everyone's kind of experienced it at least, you know, one time or another. So I want to kind of get your take on, you know, how to handle it. Uh, at least. I guess to start off, how to stay away from it, um, how to have it not happen in the first place, because, right. um, you know, no one wants this. So this is something, so you kind of work with folks, right, that have already kind of got this notification, or where do you kind of usually um, come in during this process? We work with all kinds of sellers. Some sellers are just afraid this is going to happen. I mean, a lot of what I focus, I'm really well known already for reinstatement work for account suspensions, because I used to work on the teams that did the suspending, right? Seller performance. So I had the years inside the company adjudicating appeals, reading people's appeals, or suspending their accounts to begin with, and then of course deciding if they'd be reinstated or not. So that's my you know five and a half, six years of Amazon background there, and now I've been consulting for a few years on the other side, right? Helping people understand the internal gears turning, um, how to communicate with my former teams, like you said, policy enforcement, performance evaluation teams. So. Um, a lot of what we do is education in terms of don't let this happen to you. Mm, so <laughs> um, there are there are warning signs and we help people identify <laughs> those. Yeah, I mean. And there's actually a person. So there is a pers- person reading these on the other end because I know. In I- most <laughs> cases, okay. yes. I mean, if, if your metrics are suddenly wildly out of whack, then you might face an automated suspension. Um, one misconception, this is this is what I focus on quite a bit is just education in terms of how Amazon works internally, because there's a lot of misinformation out there on like seller forums and Facebook groups. Um, Sometimes I see, I I don't sign into those as often these days because I have my own Facebook group um, and, and we do things a little bit differently. We take things from a strategy perspective, like how to prevent this stuff, how to review your account the right way, not just taking advice from somebody who might have a different like apples and oranges type situation. But I see a lot of sellers giving each other advice and giving each other bad advice based on their idea of how it works inside the company. And I would say maybe 75% of the time when I'm reading sellers communicating with each other on how this stuff works, I see wrong and and mistaken information. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's typically this like gray box where it just kind of, you know, happens. You really can't most folks don't know what's happening inside. It just kind of, you know, you get the suspension notice and there's some, you know, bullet points and you have to kind of wade through it. So, and I think a lot of people don't actually, like you said, know why they're getting in the first place. Um, right, right. And and sometimes there are warning signs that are simply missed and, and you might even have an actual warning, a performance notification sitting in your seller central account flagging you and warning you for something that could potentially cause a suspension, but you as a seller don't realize, like they don't necessarily, they do tell you, this may result in an account suspension, but you don't realize how close to that you are. You think either you have more time to work it out or you tell yourself, maybe it's a psychological thing. You tell yourself, well, a lot of people are probably getting this message and I bet this is a bot and I bet this is an automated (laughs) message and it's not a person sending a message. And that's where it's crucial to understand that that's not correct. Okay. And if you make if you make mistakes based on bad information, which again sometimes originates not from something you read on, let's say, seller help pages, but it might come from one of these groups where myths become reality, <laughs> and that's why you have to talk to people. It doesn't have to be me, but you have to talk to somebody who knows what's true and what isn't. Okay, so a lot of times they are coming from an actual human because I've seen these before, and I they're from a person, yeah. Who's I mean, the messaging you get may sound automated. And I understand why it's pre-written standardized language, um, but you know, long story short, that's a person, 
who's looking at your account annotations, who's reviewing your account for whatever problem you've been flagged for, and then they're picking the messaging from a drop-down menu in the tools and sending it to you most of the time without modifying the language except to add ASINs, right, to, to mention which listings you're being restricted on or to tell you, you know, why your account's suspended. But it is standardized messaging. That's not going to change anytime soon. I, I just, I'm still dealing, it's getting better in, on the education side of things, but um, you know, people like yourself doing these kinds of podcasts is helping. So keep doing it. But because <laughs> um, I've personally always yeah. assumed it was some sort of automated, like you said, some sort of bot. Um, and I've probably been victim to the the misinformation. So this is definitely a yeah, it's not a bot. I mean, that's uh, a bot. You know, algorithms are at work here, and there are scripts combing through. You know, seller accounts flagging certain things. There's an automation piece to any of these, most of these processes, at least. Um, but then they're grabbing a bunch of sellers, they're throwing them in a bucket, and then investigator is still, just as it was when I was working there, going through these one by one, reading account annotations, looking at what the previous investigator warned you for, because if you're being suspended or considered for suspension, there is usually a warning in the past. So they're looking at the warning, when it was sent, have you made any changes, have you corresponded with them since you got warned to say, you know, we're already working on this, we've already got the solutions in place, Certainly you understand what went wrong to begin with without sort of guessing or another mistake people make is they kind of grab copy and paste type material like generic templates, yep. like they found in a seller forum group or, oh, this exact thing happened to me. They assume it's exactly the same as what happened to their friend, the seller, their colleague, the seller, or a seller who's suspended, let's say, for the same reason. Um, but there's lots of apples and oranges there. You are evaluated against your own account history, your own background as a seller, the items you sell, um, your past policy violations you had, even if you've resolved them, you are not considered against other sellers of the same products or this, against people with the same violation in any way other than in a very general, vague sense. In the back of the investigator's mind, maybe they saw an account similar to yours earlier in the day, and that may have a, a 2% impact on what they decide to do with you. The rest of it, 98%, is they are supposed to per SOP evaluate you based on you. So, okay, yeah. interesting. So I, I did not know, I did not realize that at all. So this is uh, this is helpful. Um, what are some of the big reasons why these accounts? So you know, I guess people that haven't faced this or haven't um, you know got this. What are some of the big reasons that you get that first kind of warning and then the actual suspension notice? Like what's the what's what usually happens? The obvious the obvious. Uh, place to start is performance suspensions, right? If you have a metrics miss, you can look and review your performance metrics anytime and see if you're out of range or not. And you can see if you're kind of trending towards a suspension because your metrics have to be in range as often as possible, 100% of the time if you can. Um, they're not going to take, you know, if you have late shipment rate problems, if you're canceling tons of orders, they're not going to really take excuses for that. So you know in advance that you won't be able to write in later and say, well, now we fixed it and everything's back to normal and we're trending in the right direction. Um, you might just be suspended for a metrics miss. So performance evaluation teams, it's fairly straightforward. It's the policy suspensions that trip people up. And that's where it can be deadly to learn or uh, believe the wrong type of information in terms of what they expect. Because performance, um, they have that dash, yeah. essentially a dashboard, right? Where it's a, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's more straightforward. Yep. Yeah. And that's when around holiday times, you do see more automated suspensions. If your late shipment rate's over 4%, um, you could just be auto suspended for a metrics miss as opposed to an auto warning the rest of the year. So there are occasions like that. I mean, policy teams, there's a lot of teams dedicated to listing violations, enforcing those, sending warnings for, I mean, they could be innocent violations. But since I left the company, you know, a minor infraction is treated as a major infraction. They're much more aggressive in the policing now. Um, What's an example I, of a policy violation? So a, a listing violation, um, putting content in the title that doesn't belong there, you know, saying this is Apple-like or Apple-compatible. Those are like trademark violations. A lot of people don't understand the legal side. Uh, they get suspended because they don't understand what uh, rights owner infringements are. They don't understand trademark infringement. Uh, I mean, copyright infringement, most of us kind of out there in the world as buyers and business people understand what that means, um, using somebody else's text, somebody's image, so forth. Um, 
like if you were to use a Getty image on your website, for instance, Getty's probably going to you know hit you with a copyright infringement. But trademark infringement, a lot of people don't understand that you can't use certain terms on Amazon without infringing upon somebody's trademark. You can't, uh, in terms of other intellectual property complaints, a lot of brands don't want you, if you're a reseller on Amazon, which a lot of people are, they don't. those brands don't want you selling those products on Amazon without their expressed permission. Um, they can't control your pricing on Amazon the way they would like to. They can't control the content of the listing or the product detail page the way they might like to. And they understand how infringement processes work inside Amazon. So sellers who don't have lawyers that they're working with day in, day out on IP-related issues, intellectual property, um, often find themselves like you said, lightning bolts suspended out of the blue for something they didn't even understand they were doing because they didn't have the legal training uh, in the process of building that listing or selling those products. They didn't understand that they were kind of, um, you know, risking an account-wide suspension. And I feel like that's what you hear most of the time, you know, folks that didn't even realize they were, you know, crossing the line or in some sort of gray area. They thought they were doing everything completely, you know, completely normal, you know, perfect. And then all of a sudden, boom, it hits and, and they get kind of a, a bulleted list on it could be one of these three things and they're not even sure which one of those three things right and i unfortunately i see people who like those kinds of suspensions or let's say if you get a safety complaint amazon's big on product safety right now this is one of their huge the two biggest initiatives right now in, in my world and what we see in policy enforcement are uh, prevention of future safety complaints and then of course counterfeit amazon's always trying to you know, polish the image of the marketplace as a place where counterfeits aren't welcome, but of course, counterfeits still get in. And when you say safety complaints, is that on a per listing basis or an entire account basis? Uh, if you get enough safety complaints per ASIN, you will get your entire account suspended. Okay. So um, if you're like the, the hoverboard, you know, yeah, the hoverboard exactly. account, you don't want to. <laughs> Excellent know. place to start the safety conversation because the hoverboards, um, a lot of products like the hoverboards that have like a heat element, you know, like the, the, the chargers and the battery packs that overheat or are hot to the touch. Anytime somebody says, oh, this overheated, it was hot to the touch, that's a safety complaint waiting to happen. Okay. You could you could see product reviews that flag a listing for that. It doesn't take many. It's not like, oh, well, if 10% of your items get this kind of complaint, they shut it down. It could be anecdotal. It could be one out of a thousand if it's the wrong kind of complaint. If the investigator reviews the information in the product review or maybe you get return comments like return reasons – that say this is a dangerous item or like I usually say vitamins and supplements. If people say this gave me a stomach ache, a headache, like consumables are a little bit different than electronics, but not really in today's climate because they, they both fall under safety complaints. If Amazon thinks they can prevent future safety complaints or negative comments because of your sales of that item by suspending you now, they will do it. That prevents a lot of work for them. And it also like from a liability standpoint it reduces the likelihood that they'll get social media campaigns about hey this hurt me i bought it on amazon yeah i mean that hurts business it hurts the integrity of the marketplace right i didn't so, realize that they're, they're reading reviews and return you know those return comments are actually going somewhere um i didn't realize that i mean viral social media campaigns don't directly lead to amazon actions by my former teams typically but Viral social media campaigns attract the attention of reporters who do business and tech who cover the Amazon space. I mean, you know, I don't know if you read Bloomberg and CNBC and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times tech section as often as I do, or if your listeners do, those reporters, believe me, are paying attention to this stuff. Yeah. And the, and the whole safety thing is a very hot topic right now with Amazon. Yeah. And all. Or counterfeit. Con yeah. Counterfeit. So counterfeit's the other big. Yeah. So how does that work? Um, counterfeit i mean there's they call them inauthentic item suspensions but actually inauthentic within amazon doesn't mean what it means to you and me typically uh we we think in terms of genuine product or not legitimate product that would be flagged as inauthentic amazon created this unfortunate term as a catch-all for all kinds of complaints to be housed in one category of it could be an item condition complaint like this doesn't look new okay like the last time i bought it or um the packaging was different last time i bought it so i don't think this is genuine it could just be a packaging upgrade issue that wasn't corrected on the image or corrected on the product detail page i've heard of that one a lot where different sellers are using I mean, different even packaging yeah. yeah just slight differences um yeah and it could be 100 people in a, okay i've i've heard that term and i never knew exactly um if there were complete knockoffs or what the deal was though I, I, well, sellers think they're being accused of selling knockoffs and they don't understand it. That's some of the lightning bolt 
you know, suspensions that people get, they're surprised because they're thinking, well, I've even submitted Amazon to Amazon teams. I've submitted invoices for this ASIN in the past and they accepted it or for a similar ASIN. But I've been selling this brand for years and I've always had invoices. I mean, some of them even have authenticity letters, which I recommend for everyone who sells anything pretty much at this point. They have authenticity letters from the brand or from the supplier and the supplier might be an established distributor possibly even named on the brand's website as an authorized reseller of the items. But that's not really how Amazon works inside. If you get a buyer to complain that your items are fake, you still have to provide that documentation. They don't just take you take a quick look at your account like, oh, we, we, had, we went through this before and we cleared them. So forget it. We're not going to take any action here. It doesn't work that way. So it's kind of a guilty until proven innocent sort of thing, where if someone complains, they first kind of put you in the you know, in the, in the pen, uh, off to the side, and then you have to go back and prove your innocence. So we're right. I mean, a lot of people are, are hiring me to solve these things because these are solvable reinstatements, but you have to do them a certain way. So that's going to lead me to the next question. Like, so you get this letter, um, or you get the account shut off. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, there's that big, I think it's a, a red message up top. So what do you do next? Cause I know there's an appeal process and how does that like, what should you do? And I guess what you shouldn't, what shouldn't you do? I mean, let's start with the obvious, what you shouldn't do. I mean, there's a, there's an appeal button right there in seller central that everyone's tempted to click. Right. Um, and people still do this. I mean, as time has gone on, I think they realize that haste makes waste and not as many people do this right away, but you can't stop the initial anxiety that hits you when you think you won't be selling for the rest of that day, the rest of that week, the rest of that month. So we still see a lot of terrible, terrible appeals. I mean, I just caution people, you know, take a step back, look at what they're asking, look at what drove the complaints that led to the suspension, whether they're from a brand or from a buyer. Um, don't do the knee, cave into the knee-jerk reactions of, oh, a competitor's just sabotaging me, or buyers only complain because they wanted free return shipping, or buyers didn't understand the product, so it's their failure to read the product detail page correctly. It's not anything I should have done to the product detail page. Because that appeal, you can only, that's kind of a, a one-way thing, right? Like, it's not like a, you don't hit the button and you chat. You hit the button and you kind of send off the message and you just sit there and wait. Um, so the appeal button, they give you different boxes depending on what, what reason you're suspended. Is it performance? Is it policy? Is it something else? They give you a different place to put the appeal. Um, I just recommend that everyone draft it, redraft it, go through a revision process. Um, make sure you don't have a lot of extraneous information in there, like emotion-based yeah. <laughs> information. <laughs> Don't talk about how much you love Amazon, how much you hate Amazon. This is a one-pager. In 95% of the cases, we help people put together a one-page document, which is mostly bullets and numbers. I mean, we, we have maybe one-sentence bullets, but you know, still concise and direct information there, not a lot of extraneous you know, commentary, um, not a lot of debating or defending yourself. You're not necessarily being accused of something the way you feel like you are. They want a very proactive plan and they want to see that you understand the underlying causes for why they had to suspend you to begin with. Yeah. You see people with a lot of, um, emotion to this and I've been a, you know, I've been a seller for 13 years and I did this and I've been, you know, I have this many listings and they kind of just talk about themselves. Um, uh, people send me these appeals to look at them over before they send them in. Um, and there's just, there's a right way to do a plan of action in a wrong way. Uh, I do sometimes say, yeah, you know, it's okay to have one line in your introduction that says how long you've been selling or how long you've been selling the products. If it's all based around one brand or one type of complaint, but you're, you're really talking about one or two sentences max. Um, you don't want to lose your audience early. These investigators have metrics just the way sellers do and they have to review it quickly. They're probably doing two or three minutes on your appeal. And some of that time isn't just reading your plan of action. They're reading your account annotations and whatever came in the past as well. So they're um, doing quite a, few to, quite a few of these per day. So it's not yeah, just... Yeah, uh, 13 to 15 an hour on average. Oh, it's, wow. not, it's not that every hour somebody walks over and says, you only did seven last hour. You can't have too many hours in a day where you do seven. I mean, that's true. But that's never going to change. As time goes on, they have to do more and more... Uh, at least partial investigations per hour um, every year they up that number. So, um, you know, there aren't thousands of people there to do this. I mean, there's a lot of people in India doing this. There are people in Seattle doing it. Um, but it's not seller support, by the way. It's seller performance. People still spend a lot of time on the phone with seller support trying to get tips and what should I do and can you help me with this? I mean, 90% of the time, seller support can't really give you anything other than generic advice. And they can't, con and they can't contact the other team like they're totally uh, separated, right? Seller performance investigators generally don't even look at the case information. Um, the seller support tells you that they're contacting seller performance 
and they have an ability to do it. But generally, the information winds up in a case. Um, performance investigators don't really have time to go through the case unless it's one case number and they know that everything they need is exactly in that case and it doesn't go on and on. Um, sellers kind of have to get used to the idea of appealing and writing and doing all this in writing um, because talking on the phone is sort of therapy. But if that's 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 really all it is. It's, it's because a certain percentage of us still like to do things over the phone. Um, and, and let's face it, a lot of sales and things like that still happen over the phone and that's fine, but this isn't sales. This is appealing something in writing with teams that evaluate you in writing and send written correspondence back to you. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's one of those things we have that feeling where like, you know, it's basically like that, like the site's down, like something like the server's down, like you should pick up the phone, just call them real quick. And, you know, if we could only talk, we could fix this right now. Um, but that's, but that's not the process, right? This is like, an, an I mean, yeah. If you've got all the hours in the day that you want, yep. sure. I mean, you might get a kernel of information out of that phone call that, especially if, if they actually do look into your account and, and find some annotations that you can't see that's internal to Amazon investigators and they read some of that to you. Of course, that's valuable. That's real intel. The rest of it is pretend intel or they're giving you advice that they gave to the last caller, but they're making a judgment that they're not really qualified to make that you're the same as the last caller. That's not the same thing as having valuable, important advice on how to appeal. The rest of it that we see is just general appeal information, things you can find in seller help pages, or they're just reading the seller help pages to you. I mean, do you like having somebody read to you? I mean, maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's nice for a Charles Dickens novel by the fireplace yep. um, when your eyesight's failing you um, later later in life. But I mean, I don't need things to be read read to me. <laughs> um, you need your best writer. A lot of people want to have their Amazon account manager write the appeal or they want to have the CEO of the company write the appeal simply because they're important within the company or within the account operations. But that person might not be a good writer. And this is like communication. It's all, if you lose them early, they will stop reading. If they think, if they like the, the so-called root causes of your suspension, which many people will simply write, you suspended me for inauthentic complaints on this ASIN and this ASIN, or they'll take it a step further and say, because we had complaints from the orders of these items of those ASINs, but that's just the what, right? You're not giving them the why you got those complaints. You're not giving them the how you got those complaints. And that's what root causes really are to them. Their goal, you're trying to, you're trying, the investigators are trying to really understand what was the root cause and what you did to correct that root cause, essentially. So do you even, first, do you even understand what was the root cause? Um, or are you just kind of, you know, talking about your feelings and saying kind of um, what went wrong. Um, so basically, do you understand that root cause? And then what are you doing to actually, you know, prevent this in the future, basically? And and prevention is the key because you, your plan of action has to be proactive measures you're taking. A lot of people misunderstand that and just put a series of reactions. We got a complaint. We stopped listing the item. We got two complaints. We pulled the, in, the inventory out of FBA. Um, if we get complaints in the future, we'll refund buyers. This is another point. None of this has to do with customer service or refunds. They assume you're doing that already. So people are filling their plans of action with, you know, if we get a complaint, we follow up with the buyer. We make sure they're happy. We refund their money. Uh, we don't even ask for returns. None of this should go in a POA. It's all irrelevant. It seems important, but it, it, and it is, but not for this. You have to, like, remember your audience because I can guarantee you the investigators – their eyes start glazing over when they read that stuff. So what they want to know is why you got the complaint though in the first place, right? This is your opportunity to prove to them that you have a prevention plan for future complaints. What you did about past complaints, that's water under the bridge. They certainly care that you're taking care of buyers and messaging them back and you're looking at complaints and you see negative feedback and you do something about it. But they want to know what you did about it and why the quality of your actions will prevent future problems that are similar to this. Otherwise, why reinstate you to begin with? You'll just keep going in circles. You're creating work for investigators because if you're going in circles, they have to keep looking at your account over and over, which means their queue levels stay high, which means they have to keep suspending people and reading appeals. And it just goes on and on and on like that, um, which over time, they will start automating more of these processes because they can't. I mean, their their capacity is breaking under the weight of all this stuff. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, the other thing you see people writing is they're trying to talk about um... – I think people feel like they're always a, a very large seller um, on Amazon. 
And kind of, you know, the thing you always keep in mind is no matter how big you are, there's someone like 10 and 100 and probably even larger than that. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I mean, I have a wide range of clients. I have some very, very high end, high revenue clients um, who do millions per month. And there are other people who do millions per year instead of per month. And I understand that. Um, but yeah, I, I've had, that's, that's interesting that you uh, said that because I have calls with people, new clients all the time who think they're high, high revenue. Hey, we're not a small seller, so I don't know why they're doing this to us. And then we start digging into the revenue numbers. Um, y- you should be selling millions per month, not per year until you, before you even start thinking that way. Yep. Okay. That's, um, that's a good, yeah. so millions a month is a, that's uh, the best way to think. I, I don't know any other shorthand to explain it to people because I do have this conversation I would say weekly with people who feel like they're big. Um, they're not big enough to be invited to certain events in Seattle. Usually uh, think of it like that's another yardstick. Um, maybe you're not hearing from getting invitations to have a marketplace growth manager. Um, you, you might be, I mean, if you're doubling and tripling revenue and you went from 1 million uh, in 2016, you did two or 3 million in 2017. And now you're looking at six to eight or even 10, yeah, I mean, of course, that's going to get noticed, but you need that kind of growth yep. to be, be to be smaller side and get that kind of notice. And then once you have like a marketplace manager, you'd have someone kind of uh, on the inside to help advocate for you. I'm guessing. Yeah, another maybe we can have a future podcast just about account management and what it means to have an account manager. Uh, that's another question I get almost every day. How do I get an account manager? Most people who ask me that question don't understand how account management works or what the account manager can do for them. And then there are people who are invited. Right now, it's invite only to get a market marketplace growth manager. So they took uh, things like Seller Support Plus, which was also invite only. That was 500 bucks a month for your own dedicated seller support. And they took strategic account management. They started lumping these things into, we just need one program where you pay a certain amount of money a month, right? It's fee for service. You're, you're paying anywhere from two to 5000 a month for the account manager. But there are certain things they do and certain things they can't do. So some people don't think it's worth it because they want round the clock seller performance help from this person, which isn't really what it's intended for. They're there to help you grow within the category and double and triple your revenue every year. Right. Okay. So they can help, you know, work on and get some Intel for you and get some background on warnings that you're sent. But that's not their, you know, focus. That's not their primary directive. And also it depends on the account manager as well. Some people are new to Amazon, not just this role. Um, Some people aren't new to Amazon, but they are new to this role. So marketplace growth's only been around for a few months. They've been inviting people, but you know we, we're getting feedback all over the map on it. Some people love it, some people hate it. Um, it's not a panacea. Most people are experimenting with it because it's two or three grand a month, and they tend to be higher end, higher revenue sellers who are getting invited to do this. So barring, so unless you have one of those, you shouldn't start, uh, you know, pounding your chest and saying, you know, how loud you are. Or unless you're you've been on for a while and you've been grandfathered in with a previous account manager. Uh, typically, though, they have a solution for that. If your account manager leaves, they don't necessarily replace that person, right? They sort of say like, well, we'll let you know if we're going to be able to fold you into this new program. They don't just say, oh, we're grandfathering in everyone from the uh, you know 2009 period who had an account manager then who suddenly lost their person now. It doesn't really work that way. I mean, if they're gravitating towards fee-for-service, you can sort of see they don't have the incentive to just keep giving you a dedicated person unless it's warranted by your clean performance record. You don't have a lot of policy violations. Maybe you're already participating in things like Amazon lending, right? You're taking loans. I mean, if you're invited to take a loan and you don't think you need it, eventually they'll stop offering. So that's another strategic decision people make. Should I take the loan or not? The loan is meant not to give you an in with somebody inside who could help you with seller performance. It's meant to help you in the short term grow your business, right? And expand your relationship with Amazon, which, you know, um, every seller has to make a cost benefit analysis of whether or not they want to invest that additional money per month in an account manager, or if they even want to take the loan. But if you say no to everything, you'll eventually not get invited. You won't get invited back. Yeah, They'll stop inviting you. I mean, you know, if you keep growing and growing and growing, you will get a phone call or an email from somebody eventually, of course. But what if you want to do something with them this year, not next year and not two years from now? It's a lot easier to open up that conversation and to have them connect you to another party within Amazon. Or let's say you just want to make a big move within your category. Well, a manager might be able to introduce you to a category manager who can talk strategy with you, who's living and breathing your category every day of their life. 
your marketplace growth manager isn't doing that. They've got different people with different categories that they're handling. Um, I mean, maybe maybe even if they have mostly sellers in the same category, they have different levels of expertise within Amazon itself. Because there's folks that specialize per in a per category basis. Um. I mean, I've seen and talked to some of the same marketplace growth managers because they're dealing with clients I have that are in the same category. But it also depends on their personality. I mean, they might not talk to you more than once a month. They might not follow up on your emails as quickly. Uh, everybody who works at Amazon's already just assumed they're overloaded and they're putting spare time, like personal time, into their job. But there's only so much personal time to put into it, too. I mean, they can't work 24-7 and get back to everybody, assume they have a lot on their plate. So, Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the thing. Just assume, you know, they're, everyone there is busy and you're not going to get an instant reply to anything. Because I think some people also, when they actually do file that appeal, um, you know, they kind of hold their breath and wait for that reply. And it's like, what's that process actually like? Because I know, you know, it's not... You know, after you have your bulleted list and you, um, I guess that's a good question. What kind of things should you be doing, saying that you're doing to prevent this from happening in the future? Like, what's a good example of something went wrong and what to do? Right. I built, beyond my consulting, I also have digital products like online courses. I have a membership uh, that I can tell you about later. But the entire point of the membership is to keep trouble away or at bay. And when you get these notifications, instead of ignoring them or saying, well, we're not selling that anymore, we don't care, to help people correspond back to those teams and resolve those notifications so you don't have a mark against you or a strike against your record. Because if you keep accumulating these complaints, eventually you get manually investigated by a person. Certainly not. I mean, soft block listings, like the ones where you can relist the item yourself, uh, where, where they just give you a snapshot of some complaints or return reasons, those you can you know, you can take care of relisting it. You can still sell the items, but you still have to do some research and homework, right? You have to figure out why people are complaining to begin with. Otherwise they will eventually come send you a real notification. And if your solutions aren't working, you'll have this problem across other ASINs and they will suspend the account. So from my perspective, suspensions are largely preventable. And I don't see that these are lightning strikes nearly as often as other people do. Well, and it sounds like those little dings add, add up more than people uh, realize, right? Where you think, you know, it's just a, a little thing they kind of warn you about and you say okay great and then it goes away because you don't hear from them again for a couple months and then like you said lightning strikes and all of a sudden the account's just off um and it's almost like how did that happen and if, if you're countering if you're countering these if you're pushing these back one at a time you're reducing the odds that that algorithm is going to you know catch up with you i mean every time you get these dings like you said you're nudging closer and closer to at least a manual review most of those a large percentage of those result in a suspension. So as long as you know that you're resolving these as they come in, I mean, eventually somebody will look at your account and say, why are you getting a million of these a month, whether you resolve them or not? But the theory is that you're taking actions that are pre pre uh, preventing future complaints similar to the past complaints. Some of that's logistics. Some of it's, you know, you might be a private label seller. You're selling a product you have to abandon that you've invested in, but you're doing that as a risk assessment to pr protect the account overall. And you're taking the hit on that one ASIN to save the business overall, because most of the sellers I work with, 90% of their business is on Amazon. So they have to take a holistic view of, you know, I might have a shortfall on this particular product line. I might have to abandon it, but we're getting too many complaints on it. We have to take some measures to protect the entire business. Yeah, definitely. Um, so back, this is going back some time, but I, uh, I sold on Amazon, um, through an e-commerce business and was getting a lot of late shipment notices. And that's actually the reason behind why kind of spark shipping, um, which, you know, one of the reasons why it was created just out of need some way to automate that. And I remember that was actually, you know, wrote up, you know, got it actually a suspension. Um, so that's why it's very near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, um, of course. So it actually it's was a pleasant experience. Yeah. And I remember talking about the automation at the time and there wasn't, the, you know, there wasn't a name spark shape at the time, but, um, right. you know, talking about how, you know, we added an automation and we're going to start doing these things. Um, and the account was reinstated actually. So that was kind of basically, yeah. Like, cause at the time we we're doing it manually and, you know, you would get tracking numbers on a, you know, on a Friday and let's just say you didn't put them in until Monday, like some, you know, we'd be sending products and we'd get back a tracking number from a manufacturer and they'd say, we shipped this, but you know, maybe I left the office, you know, we got it at 3 PM, maybe left the office a little early. No one put them in that, that Friday, Monday rolls around and you come back and there's all these late notifications. You're like, <laughs> Amazon's a very unforgiving. Pl I mean, a lot of people, it makes sense to you and me that this would happen. Right. Um, some people give their staff the afternoon off 
on a holiday and, you and it just makes a long, sense a long weekend and you can see it happening like the weekends or you get a you get a buyer complaining to you sending you a message direct message on a weekend and maybe it doesn't get answered within 24 hours which you're supposed to probably answer them within as, as quickly as possible within a few hours because the quicker you answer a buyer complaining the less likely they are to go directly to amazon and say well i tried contacting the seller and I didn't hear from them, so now I want to file a claim. Now I want to leave a negative feedback, and I, I want to complain to you that I didn't get what I was supposed to get. And if you had answered them faster, they wouldn't have gone to Amazon directly. And a lot of people are saying, where's my package? And if you didn't... I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's just a 24-hour marketplace. If you're yep. not going to answer people on the weekend, find somebody who will do that for you. Yep. Um, and the stories, you know, they, they don't like excuses, even if it's a valid, what you and I consider a valid excuse. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It was a long, it was a long weekend and we we went to the beach, so we didn't put the tracking numbers in. They, that's not a valid reason. Um, people go away in the old days, people went away and didn't put their accounts on vacation mode. Yep. I mean, basic stuff like that. They don't care. I mean, they don't spend any time thinking about this. That's why in the appeals process, when people say I've got four kids to feed or this is, <laughs> this is my only income. Yes. I mean, honestly, they're so numb to that. There's no point in bringing that up at all. They've heard it a thousand times and it doesn't make a dent anymore. You're not going to appeal to their better nature unless it's a very unique instance where it's like, look, Amazon kind of failed us and they dropped the ball on alerting. You know, you, you told us that you had previously warned us for this and we went through our notifications. We never got the warning. And it's like an investigator mistake type situation. But be 100 percent certain. Yeah, <laughs> know, don't don't, don't point fingers at like Amazon that. if it's not uh, really Amazon's oh, yeah. fault. Okay. And they make they, they rush. They rush through this work. And, they you know, I mean, they make mistakes all the time. You know, they sometimes they annotate the account that they messaged you and then they don't send the message because it's a multi-step process or, or they send you the message and they don't annotate the account. So the next investigator doesn't know what's going on. I mean, these things happen all the time, but unless you can see into the tools, I mean, you can't hang your hat on that. Um, yeah, very unique situations. Sometimes investigators will look and say, we kind of failed this person. There was a mistake here. Uh, I've worked on situations like that many times. They will reinstate the account when they, when they think it's justified. But 99% of the time, it's somebody who said, you've made a mistake. And you're punishing us for something we didn't do. And then they look at the account and the first thing they say is, well, we see lots of reasons to suspend you and we don't agree with you at all. And what we say goes. So if you want to spend weeks not selling, you can fight us on this <laughs> and you can have your lawyer write an angry letter to us. But we need certain things from you and we already requested it and you're not giving it back to us. So basically the goal is, you know, file the appeal and let them know what you're doing to fix it. That's like that's number one. Um, not why, not even why it happened is like the 10%, but the other 90% of the letter should basically be, you know, what you're doing in the future to fix it and why this will never happen again. Yeah. If you don't get the why, if you're either giving them jargon and it's not believable, it's not credible, then they won't, they won't read the other 90% if you don't get the why right. Okay. So if explain, they, if they, like if talk to them guessing. like they're a real person, basically, you know, like an actual person and explain to them. There was a mistake, but here's all the things we're doing to fix that. Yeah. Admit to mistakes. Don't cover up. Don't focus on debating with them or defending yourself. Just focus on a mistake was made. Um, we've done a lot of digging. We figured out what it was. Um, maybe even sometimes the buyers just misunderstood your products. And that's what this is all about. They said it was not authentic. They said it was different from described. Maybe it's just a misunderstanding. But you have to take responsibility, unfortunately, for that misunderstanding. Maybe the responsibility is making better descriptions, making, you know, better photos, just improving the listing itself. Better photos, better listing content, better described product. You've pushed it to the point where you're, you're almost certain. You have no doubt in your mind that there's any ability for anybody, even somebody with a fourth grade reading level, to misunderstand what your product does, what it says it'll do, what comes with it, what the accessories are, anything. Make sure it's just you put your listings, let's say your private label, you're 100% in control of that listing. Um, you know what will convince people um, of what they're getting versus, you know, this isn't as expected. This isn't as described. Don't leave any gap there in their in their in the back of their mind that they're potentially misunderstanding the product. So, okay, so leave nothing so to nail the root causes, oh. nail the root causes. Don't talk about what you will do or what isn't quite ready yet. Talk about completed actions when you give them the plan of action. Okay, that's a good the completed action. So what has been done and how it basically will fix it so in the future this will not happen again. And on a basic level, just will this work? I mean, don't blow smoke in their faces. I mean, they have to believe that these they have to be convinced that this isn't just pie in the sky. If you're if your ideal 
is ideal solution is something that's not attainable for most sellers then don't promise to do these things you know over promising and under delivering is a really bad idea with a plan of action because they can just resuspend you if they see the same complaints coming in next month and that's the thing now this this is on record and you know you've been notified so so now after you actually submit this submit the appeal what actually happens internally like where does this go and what you what should you expect you know for a response uh you know what happens next they evaluate it to see if it's credible, to see if they're going to be back in the same place with you in a few days or a few weeks. Um, they don't want to reinstate you prematurely because they can be audited afterwards for a bad reinstatement on on a weak plan of action. So that's, you know, they, they don't have a lot of incentive to reinstate sellers and watch you go down the tubes. They have incentive to really, you know, go through your POA line by line as quickly as possible. But yeah, they need to see certain kinds of information there that talks about a process. I guess I would uh, give your listeners some advice in terms of don't say we're retraining everybody without saying how or why that's going to make a difference. Um, If you're talking about new quality control, new inspection methods, uh, new item quality assessments for items you get from this or that supplier, or even if you're going to keep that supplier, let's say you're a reseller and you keep getting bad batches from the same supplier, Don't just tell Amazon, well, we're not going to source from that guy anymore. Tell them if you're selling those same products in the future, who are you sourcing from? Where's the link to their website? Like give them process information that shows that you're vetting people differently than how you did things before. This has to be an improvement plan where you're admitting that a process in the past failed, at least on some level it failed. I mean, we all have things, whether we're consultants or sellers, that we can be improving, right? Yep. So view it as an improvement plan, even if you don't agree that you need to improve much. View it as an improvement plan. These are processes that you're tightening up. And also talk about like we're also double checking this to make sure and we're testing this new process to make sure that it's going to work. And who's testing it? Well, it's manager level. It's not just employees who are watching each other who, who aren't responsible for the performance of that team. It's, it's being observed on an ownership level or it's being audited on a managerial level. That's what they want to hear. Okay, so they really want to hear the the details of the process and step by step the the quality controls in place and you know okay so very then- due diligence heavy. I understand some of these companies are only two or three people. I mean, my company, my consulting company is me and other people I worked with at Amazon, but we're a small crew overall. So I understand that you don't necessarily have a manager who's watching ten or twelve people every second of the day, but they need it to sound like somebody's in charge, somebody's taking responsibility. And they're going to be double checking throughout the day or week on A, B, and C on a regular basis to make sure that things are running like a Swiss watch. Because if they're not, you can't just say, well, we had some, a lot of new sellers do this. I'm not sure why they still try it, but they say, well, we're new, we're newbies (laughs) and we didn't know the policy. And we, I understand the human nature reason why they say it, but you're kind of digging your own grave if you, if you give them that kind of talk, because to them, you're saying, I wasn't ready for Amazon. I wanted to start selling stuff and make money, and I cut corners, and I didn't have a process in place, and I didn't train my employees right on Amazon-specific information. Um, maybe you have a great sales you know, process through your own website or through eBay. Amazon is its own universe. Yeah, so it's kind of like just getting your, uh, your driver's license and using that as an excuse for moving violation and saying, well, I didn't know how fast it was supposed to go, so I did whatever I want, or doing whatever I wanted. Yeah, I was driving in Ohio instead of Massachusetts, and I didn't know the laws in Ohio were different from Massachusetts. Guess, who's, guess whose fault that is? <laughs> and that's really the way they look at it. I mean, it's on you. It's, it's a big burden, and it's a big responsibility, but they also, you know, you can't, if you can't do the crime, don't do the, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. So you can't just come back and say, well, I've got 10 employees to feed and you've suspended me. Why are you doing this? Before you hired those 10 people, you had to learn all the policies. So if you were committing all these policy violations, they would say, well, why didn't you front load the policy compliance part instead of just listing a bunch of stuff and sourcing a bunch of stuff really quickly without doing your homework? That's kind of the big thing right there. If you're going to be listing, you know, listing a lot of products, selling a lot of products, you need to be someone that becomes a job having, you know, I don't know if it's a compliance person or what the um, actually role will be called, but someone internally to really be watching all these metrics. And because um, if they, if they go south, they can, you know, it can go south real quick. Um, so. 
you can hire an Amazon account manager. I mean, you don't have to do every single thing yourself and micromanage every task related to your Amazon account. But I mean, and, and by the way, I mean, I'm not just tough on like clients in terms of their, you know, running a tight ship. I mean, friends and family ask me this stuff too. And I tell them like, when you hire an Amazon account manager, you should have me on the call when you interview them or like, let me quiz them on a few things because if they can't answer certain questions, then you're not really hiring an Amazon account manager. You're hiring an e-commerce account manager who knows your business, but doesn't know the Amazon side of your business. Okay. So you're saying, you know, have an external, um, someone that works for you, um, directly for you, that just manage the Amazon account. That's their role. Or, you know, even if it's part-time. A lot of people do this themselves, but just understand that if you don't have that dedicated person who understands how this stuff works, you can't approach Amazon later when their problems and say, we're a small seller, we're a new seller. Uh, don't sound like a hobbyist or a mom and shop, mom and pop shop or anything small, because if they think that you don't even care how much you grow, you just want to maintain what you're doing now. They think you're small time or you're a small fry. And I'm sorry, but there's marketplace consolidation going on. Amazon isn't a small business opportunity as much as it used to be. And Amazon, Amazonians themselves care a lot more about people who are going to be doubling and tripling revenue over year over year. Got it. Um, it's just, it's just, that's supply and demand. That's just, Amazon's a hot marketplace. There's a lot of money involved in it and Amazon invests a lot in their people too. I mean, when they're paying account managers and they're hiring like crazy. So they have to kind of think in terms of, well, which marketplace players are going to be worth our time because we don't want to necessarily spend all our day educating people on things that they could be reading themselves. And then they weren't reading the policies and they said, well, I didn't know, you know? So then. Once you actually submit this, and what do you expect timeline-wise to actually get a response back? And Sorry, I didn't something? answer your. No, no, because <laughs> I didn't answer I, your original question. Well, no, because so I think that's a big thing. Because I think people yeah. submit it and then you kind of just sit right. there and hold your breath, um, and you don't know if this is going to be minutes, hours, days, weeks, and your account just like off. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, one so- of the one of the least relevant questions I get from sellers is they you know they emailed me back after two hours last time and it's been two days doesn't matter. It's all depends on how many email cues they're sending in seller performance. How quickly they answered you last time has no bearing on how quickly they answer you this time. Not at all. Unless of course it's prime day, you know, it's cyber Monday, black Friday, whatever. Of course it's going to take them longer to, to respond to you because people are more desperate to get an answer quicker when their account is shut down. But it doesn't necessarily mean anything bad for your particular account or complaint. It could just be, they just have more calls. I mean, yeah. I mean, if days and days are going by and you're getting no response, but you've emailed them a thousand times already, it's because you've emailed them a thousand times and that's why you're getting no response. What you're talking about is the first appeal. Um, When you hit the appeal button, they date and timestamp when you should hear back by. Um, I don't know if I'd wait until a minute later and then say you were supposed to email me by noon today and it's 12.01. What the hell are you doing? You might want to give them a little bit more time. You can certainly send a, what they call a nudge email and follow up and say, we were supposed to hear today. We didn't hear today. We're account, our account suspended. We've got a plan of action that addressed all the issues that were going wrong with the account. There's nothing wrong with sending an email um, to sell a performance asking for an update like that. But, pe- but people take it to an extreme and start emailing every hour. We still haven't heard. What are you doing? Do I have to write to Jeff himself? Um, <laughs> You know, then you start, everybody does that. The Jeff email becomes an email that everyone's using for everything under the sun, which means that you're even less likely to receive a response in a timely manner. So be strategic, be judicious. Of course, if your email was, you know, like I said, if your account was annotated and they threw away the reply they were supposed to send you, that's a problem. You have to follow up. Uh, Don't wait days and days, but also don't expect a response the same time that your last uh, email got responded to and for a response what do you typically is it typically just you know what yes we're going to turn it back on or no you're off forever or like what happens like what is the thing you can expect yeah the average response i mean they like to make life hard on people so they don't typically accept the first plan of action i mean of course some of the ones that we're involved with from the beginning we get them back on on the first try yep. um but even <laughs> you know some of the cases we work on sometimes they say we need more information Yep. And maybe there's maybe it's one thing, maybe it's two things, but there's something missed either in the root causes or the plan of action. And it also, I mean, sometimes I find this out later, but the plan of action is 100% solid. There's documentation missing. Like it's an inauthentic suspension. And if you're sourcing from a brand who can't get you an authenticity letter, you just have an invoice or you have an invoice that's over 365 days old. 
or you've got an invoice that's hard to read, or they think you made your invoice yourself, which of course is kind of a type of fraud that they don't want to see you doing. Um, you know, if there's documentation missing, then they won't reinstate you until they get what they need to go with the plan of action. So um, safety complaints. I mean, a lot of people just say we're, we're FDA approved. We've been selling this for years. We haven't had any complaints on you know, 99% of our orders and they're just sending the wrong kind of material. So they get a, they get a reply that says, we need more information now. How specific are they about what they need? They don't want to serve it up to you on a platter and, and make it so that you're just copying and pasting. They still want you. I mean, it's it's murky and it's unfortunate that, that they're not more specific. Um, some of that's because of privacy. They don't want you going to specific buyers and saying, hey, you're the reason I got suspended. <laughs> Is there a time you're getting like a hard no? Like, the, you know, do do can they reply back and just say, sorry, that's the end? Yeah. They, well, they, they'll send you a general denial or they just think your metrics are way, way out of range and they don't even want you to appeal. Um, or they just think that your plan of action is way off and that you, you're guessing, you have no idea what you're talking about. You copied and pasted some appeal that you bought online for a couple hundred bucks. Um, you know, I mean, if, if they think you're working with some sort of chop shop consultant, then they're not going to spend any time on it. They're going to send you a general denial, which, you know, they might add the language like we may not respond to future emails, but I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't respond if you send them a real appeal with real information. Okay. So it's still not, you know, all hope is lost. You could still try at some point, but it just gets drastically less likely um, each time you do a bad job. Each time you do it. Yeah. yeah. There are people who contact me and they really just burn through all their appeals yep. and you know, they're, they're taking a gun and firing all the bullets out of it and still hoping they can uh, go hunting with it. And it doesn't work that way. If you burn through your, your appeals, they will stop reading they will stop talking to you and don't give them the incentive to ignore you because they love investigations where they can skip right over you. They get credit for that investigation just as much as they do something they spend 10 minutes on. So you eventually go on the bad list. And at that point, it's really hard to get uh, get back on the good list. Yeah. If, they, if you've sent them three or four appeals and they say we may not respond to future messages, uh, uh, appeals from you, that's not the same as having them say we may not respond after one appeal. I can almost guarantee you that they will respond. Of course, it depends on what you're doing. If they think you're committing fraud, they're not going to respond to you at all. Um, but uh, or the nature of the offenses, if they think you're trying to game the system, I mean, there are still people that are out buying f- fake product reviews and you know hiring these third-party service providers to manipulate sales rank or, like I said, product review abuse. If they think that you're just out to get them, <laughs> and you and you're not cooperative, and you're really just out to disrupt the entire marketplace, they're not going to waste their time on you. And that's one of those, there are obviously, and you hear about this people, like you said, fake reviews. So there's the, you know, egregious, just, they are doing something bad. Um, and as a seller, you probably at that point realize you're doing something bad. Um, and you know, you have a product that got, you know, a hundred sales and you have a hundred five-star reviews. Everyone knows, you know, you did something that you crossed the line. Um, so that could be one of those times where it's just, it's a hard no and it's not coming back. Yeah, I mean, in my world, there aren't that many hard no's. Of course, I weed, I weed those people out when they contact me originally in terms of, hey, there's maybe not a lot I can help you with. I mean, my calendar is open to anybody on my website. Anyone can book an hour of my time. Um, but typically people, you know, come in through my contact form first and give me an idea of what they're suspended for. And I can figure out like, well, there's not a lot we can really do here. You've, you've broken a lot of rules. Some people have just been suspended like once a year on average for six years and you get to your sixth suspension and they're like, we go through this with you every year. You're not getting it. You're not the kind, don't act like the kind of seller they don't want, you know, act like the kind of seller who maybe made a mistake and maybe could improve some of your operations, but you've learned your lesson and you're ready to correct for it. Um, Product reviews. I mean, you know, there are plenty of people contacting me saying, well, you know, our competitors are doing fake reviews, so we had to do it too just to keep up. Uh, <laughs> that's going to fall on deaf ears. They don't care. Yeah, I mean, not a valid, uh, you no. know, he, he did it so I can too. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. Not a lot of hard no's. Most people who come to me are people who, even if they've been suspended before, we can help them get back on. They've they've written some low quality appeals. We can help them, you know, tune it up to a high quality where somebody's actually going to read it. They're going to care. Um, something we haven't talked about is the escalations process. I mean, if you've written a great POA plan of action and they're simply not paying attention to it for whatever reason, uh, maybe you're just unlucky or maybe you missed a couple things on the first couple go rounds and they're not really reading them anymore. You can escalate that. I mean, you've got a good plan of action. So you've got something to escalate with. 
the biggest misconception around escalations is, oh, we have to write to Jeff at Amazon.com because we got denied or because they keep asking us for more information. Um, maybe there's a reason they're asking you for more information. You're missing something that they really need you to see, that, that they need to see, they need you to put in there and you haven't put it in there for some reason. It's like a painful decision to make where you're going to cost yourself some sales or some money. Um, but they don't care about that. They need the appeal to match reality. And if you're just making things up to get reinstated, that doesn't mean that you can escalate it because they're not paying attention to you. It means that you're not giving them the information they need for an acceptable reinstatement. So there is an escalation process somewhere between frontline support and before you have to go directly to Jeff, there's something, uh, there's something in between. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot in between actually. That's why it drives me crazy when people do the Jeff ad emails so quickly, just because they've heard that this email exists and they know that Jeff at least used to read some of these emails himself. Um, yeah, I mean, one, you could, you could do a shot in the dark type appeal like that where you've got a lousy plan of action and they simply send you a reply asking you for a better one, but why bother doing that when you can just improve the plan first and then escalate it later and preferably escalate it within the teams that suspended you. When you write to Jeff, you're writing to executive seller relations, which is you're basically indicting the team and complaining that they didn't properly review your appeal. And that's a nuance that a lot of people don't understand. They, they don't even really know the difference between the teams, but you're kind of saying like, we gave them everything they wanted. They didn't do their jobs. Now we have to complain to you because we need your help to reprimand them it's for like, not reinstating us. Yeah. It's like going over your manager's head to try to, uh, right. yes. Exactly. And then point fingers exactly. back at the manager and wonder why it's, uh, right. it's not working. Yeah. Right. Okay. But the, but largely there's a reason you, the automate the automated assumption on your automatic assumption on your side that there's just nobody reading it is kind of convenient for you. It might not square with. I mean, why send that to an investigator who looks at your account and says everything's been written, uh, everything that's been written so far has been evaluated specifically and annotated in detail on this account. So you've lost that audience immediately, and it could be your last chance at a reinstatement. Yeah, I feel like the big takeaway here is you know. When you're when you're writing this whole pills process, there are actually people on the other end and they're reading it and you're having like a conversation and you need to be like authentic and actually have a plan of action. Um, you know, realize you did something wrong, realize here are the steps to fix it. And it's not just like a, you know, a thing you're going to game. And like, if I hit the right buttons, I'm going to get the outcome I want. It's really actually a person and you need to talk to them like actual humans and um, explain people, to them. Yeah. Yeah. Explain These to are- them what you're going to do. Yeah, these are important business decisions that have to be made by a person. People adjudicate appeals. I mean, I, I, I used to work there, so of course it sounds crazy to me when people tell me like, oh, nobody read my appeal. It just bounced back to me with an automated response. I mean, you know, auto responders, when you're out of the office on vacation or um, after hours stuff, that's totally different than sending an appeal to Amazon where the fate of your Amazon business might, might be hanging in the balance. I mean, they understand, they don't take that lightly. I mean, they're getting commissions from you too. Don't forget. So they care too. It's not just that they don't care like on a visceral level, whether or not you're selling on the site. I mean, if you're a seller who, who can be easily replaced by 10 other sellers tomorrow selling the same brand, then yeah, I mean, obviously there's a difference between that and a private label seller who's the only person selling that product and you sell, sell 20 million a year. I'm not saying that's not the case, but they care about your business. You're you're a customer. You're a buyer too. So, oh, well, that's very helpful. I think um, I think that helps put a lot of uh, a lot of light on the subject. Where, and honestly, I don't. I think there's a lot of like you said, a lot of um, like myth and lore around uh, the whole process. So, it's opaque. It's opaque, admittedly, and it won't be clearer. They're not going to be a forthcoming company about how they do these investigations anytime soon. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's it's good for everyone because if they were too clear on exactly why they're doing it it could um allow people to game the system more and make the whole thing worse so exactly which is what's happening with product reviews i mean right now we're still living in that world where i think a lot of the you know fraudster types and black hat consultants and tactic people out there understand that the pra the product review abuse teams are maybe lighter staffed maybe don't have as much time they're having trouble scaling the work i think everyone knows this already this is public information and that's why reviews are kind of all over the map yeah that's the big thing right now yeah Yeah. okay yeah all right i think this is super helpful so i mean if people want to get more yeah no i think um yeah thank you i think this is definitely one of those subjects that there's a lot of um misinformation on so it helps to you know hear from someone who's who's seen the inside and you know so 
we can always do a part two you know i'm not going anywhere it might be helpful but um i'll definitely uh we should talk about that so if people want more information though if they want to contact you or maybe someone maybe someone is suspended right now what should they do next um, yeah, I mean, you should definitely go to my website, ecommercechris.com. I've got a contact form there, which is really easy to spot. Um, I've also got, as I said, uh, you can go under my reinstatement tab. I've got it. You've got the ability to book an hour of my time, a one hour consult assessment of your situation. Of course, I would look at any past appeals that they had sent in, uh, talk some strategy on what needs to go in the future. And if they've just been suspended, then we need to talk about the causes before we talk about anything else. Um, and I've got, I referenced the online courses, um, the I do consulting services, but I've got an online membership, which is ecommercechris.com forward slash membership. And there's a lot of information there for people who want to learn the right way, kind of based on my methodology and my approach, learn the right way to do an appeal yourself. So Great. Well, I'll link to that in the show notes just so if anyone wants to check those out. Uh, I think Terrific. If you're in Boston, right? Like you, you yep. and I are in the Boston area. So I've got a Boston, uh, Boston Amazon seller meetup. So certainly let us know if you want to join some of the events we have going on. Yeah, I will. Uh, let's put, let's put a link to that too. I definitely like to get the, the Boston e-commerce community even, exactly. uh, coming out even larger. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for that. So you're welcome. It's been a uh, great talking to you and we'll definitely, um, I'll definitely, uh, catch up and talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you.